At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Jessica McNaughton. Jessica is the founder of Memory Keeper, based in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Memory Keeper technologies are committed to connecting the world through story. Memory Keeper has worked with brands like Marriott, the Grey Cup, Heritage Park, and the Rough Riders. They help businesses leverage the powers of their stories to grow their businesses. And there's also a freemium product that enables individuals to capture and protect their own family stories with ease. Before starting Memory Keeper, Jessica was a C-suite executive who spent 25 plus years in progressively senior roles in some of Canada's most respected companies, building high performance teams and managing transformational change. She jokes to her children often that she has three kids, Jacob, Jackson, and Memory Keeper. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Now, we'll focus on the third kid today, I think. But how are Jacob yeah, and Jackson? Exactly. <laughs> Those other two are problem makers anyhow. No, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. They're great. Okay. Off the top, we like to ask our guests, Jessica, um, what's the top piece of advice that you hope fellow entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? This is one that's taken me a while to learn, but you've got to, the founder journey is a little bit lonely and it's hard. You have to self-motivate. So my piece of advice is to make sure you're doing what you're doing because there's some passion in it and be sure to put yourself on the top of the the funnel in regards to taking care of yourself, making time to, you know, silence your mind and, and ensure you're doing things the way you think they should be done and really investing in yourself so that you're strong enough to go through this journey and invest in others. Very cool. Um, you mentioned that you have to be self-motivating, and that's absolutely true. What's your best self-motivating hack? Um, I'm, it depends on the week, really, but uh, definitely getting up from my desk and just moving a little bit just to get my head out of a space. Um, for Memory Keeper, a lot of it is actually when I spend time with our clients and I hear how 
their stories or their building stories together. That's the best motivation is to hear like it's working, but that doesn't work at the beginning stage when you don't maybe have clients or it's not working yet. So you got to look yourself in the mirror and say some really kind things and be sure to spend the time with the people who you're having an impact on and making a difference with. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Let's start off by finding out a little bit more about you. Tell us about your career prior to becoming an entrepreneur. And then what was the spark that set off Memory Keeper? Right. It was, um, I mean, I loved, I I had a great career and I loved most of the places I worked and most of the people I worked with. Like I'd say 99%. I worked with WestJet in the early days and got some, had some real fun there. Um, Worked with RBC where I got to learn a lot about the finances of running a business. I worked mergers and acquisitions for a lot of years. So new project, you know, every three, six months. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. And and so I, I really, you know, I always had this burning pit in my stomach. What was like, there's going to be a point where there's going to be something I'm, there's going to be this something I meant to do that I know will come along at some point, but I didn't know if it was going to be this or something else. Um, So yeah, so I had a great career, loved, you know, the jobs I had, loved working with other people. I think I was what you'd probably call an intrapreneur. I was typically at the front of change for organizations I worked with, but there's some there's some beauty of being able to do that with a A with a great big budget of someone else's and B with a power of a ton of people who you can rally around an idea or a transformation um, and move together. So loved that. Um, I was my last role, I had a change in an organization I worked with. My boss, who was the CEO, I reported to the CEO, had changed and we were going in a different direction um, culturally. And also we were looking for um, acquisition ourselves. And so I kind of saw the future. And since then, that company has been acquired by a larger um, fintech play. And it was exactly how it was supposed to be. Um, so I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I did what I did because that's what I had forecasted was going to happen. Um, so ah. I kind of thought, gosh, now, if not now, when to try and do something on my own. And the idea of Memory Keeper had kind of been swimming in my head for some time. Um, we, I, had, I lost a niece and we lost one of our social media accounts. And so that was part of the you know, the desire to start this product. I also lost both my parents and we have some really treasured things like voicemails and videos and pictures and things that I just felt weren't safe enough on social. So it it was a combination of, I had this thing stirring in my head all this time. And from a corporate perspective, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I've done all the things I love. Nothing was jumping out at me and, and it was time to, you know, make an exit and do something different. So so I thought, why, if not now, why never? So. Wow. That's a really interesting uh, story there. You felt that some of these memories, some of these voices, they weren't safe on social. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Cause I think that's the opportunity that you saw. Yeah. You know, and, and we started as a consumer product and we've since shifted to business. We still have our consumer product and we have, you know, thousands of people who are, who are protecting their personal stories and helping them gather them daily. But um, since moving into business, I'm especially seeing where social is heading. And I mean, the the stats are alarming in regards to how many people, like over 80% of people say that they believe it directly negatively impacts their mental wellness and their happiness factors. And yet we're on there every day, um, <laughs> not experiencing what what we're going there for. I think it started as this 
platform that we thought would bring people together. Um, and it's kind of become the exact opposite of that. So from a just an individual user perspective, we're not seeing people have the same connection levels and happiness factor from those connections on social than than once was even. Um, and from a business perspective, we're seeing brands that thought this was going to be a place to create community actually struggling to not lose their followers to their competitors, um, get the algorithm to put their content in front of their followers um, and have any sort of meaningful interaction like consumer, consumer, um, but just the trends on consumer frustrations with bots and scams and unauthentic content on social are so high right now and they continue to elevate every year. Um, so, so I think there, there needs to be something better for that reason alone is that it's just, it's turned into 10 ads and two pieces of content that I want to see. Um, but also we, we looked a little bit deeper and we looked to the future of maybe not where big data is going, but where consumers want to interact. And what we found was there's nowhere really that you get to own all the content you have, like on any social, you're co-owning your content with uh, Meta you know, or whomever the X, whoever the social provider is, and they're co-licensed to use that. So we took a different approach to how we manage data and privacy as well. Uh, so we, we comply with Indigenous data sovereignty principles for access, ownership, control, possession um, in North America. We uh, bring things a lot differently for what content or what data we're collecting from consumers um, on behalf of brands and what we're not. Um, and also on how private our stories are so that if you want it to be broadcast, you know, loudly and widely, you can. But you also we have some clients that use this for really sensitive topics that are for a closed group uh, of people that, you know, really don't want to be in a public in a more public forum like social media. So did this begin as a, a project for individuals and then did you see the, the power of extending this to business? Yeah. Or was it always your, your, your intent to build a, a, a for-profit commercial product? No, it was, it was a little bit by accident. Um, you know, A, building a consumer product is, is I'm, I shouldn't say building it. The product is excellent. We've built it. That part wasn't hard. Getting the reach for a consumer product is really difficult. Um, and it's really costly. Customer acquisition to be found is very expensive for the exact challenges I just mentioned on social media is where most people find them. And, um, and so we did a couple projects with, our first one was with Dakota Dunes Resort here in Saskatchewan. It's an Indigenous owned resort, casino, golf course, beautiful property. Um, and so we did a project with them where we, they put QR codes in every room and they told stories about the resort. Um, they did some things in the Dakota language. They talked about the history, showed the um, indigenous design throughout the hotel and they have a little scavenger hunt in there. So we did that with the intent of thinking, oh, this is just going to be a good lead generation for their guests, for consumers. Um, and not long in, we realized we solved a real problem for them. Um, so then we started talking to more people in a similar boat and, and got a couple more um, resorts and casinos and specifically started with Indigenous, um, Incomeep Cultural Center, um, Great Eagle Casino and Resort in Alberta, a couple others like that, where this was this solved a couple problems for them and helped them integrate their language, their history, their culture, their stories into the guest experience without feeling like they were sacrificing 
their cultural assets. Um, and so that's then we started just kind of rolling with it from there and saying there's a there's a bigger need. And really, a lot of what's broken with social media starts with the brands and their inability to just connect through story as opposed to throwing, you know, grabbing data and uh, throwing ads at people. Wow. So actually getting back to one to one, one to many storytelling. Yeah. Like we really believe I, it should be always been my belief that you vote with your dollar, you know, and that is the greatest for, from a consumer perspective that you can have. And so we're kind of playing with that is that people want to know their company stories. They want to know their values align. They want to feel like they're part of a community. Um, we saw, we've seen some great examples in the marketplace. Like Lego has this Lego insiders that you have to be a member of, and you get to go basically on the other side of the gate and have feedback on, new designs that are coming up and get to interact with other people who are really passionate about what you're passionate about. Um, same with Jeep. We see these forums where Jeep drivers meet complete strangers and go do excursions together. And so we modeled some of the people in this, in, in the industry that are like doing a really good job creating community and it's setting their, their brand aside. Um, and then what we did was we tried to enhance the product we had so that you actually didn't have to be the company like Jeep and Lego that was spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on this. You could do it in a really affordable way. Cool. So tell us sort of what, what what's involved in your Memory Keeper platform and, yeah. and, and how it brings value. So essentially Memory Keeper is a, is a digital space that you can create story. Um, you can either create story for the purpose of sharing it for the purpose of co-creating with an audience. Um, I'll give the example of like the story sharing would be Dakota Dunes where they're, you know, sharing the story and guests are consuming it. Um, then they have another story that they use for their adventure experiences where actually they share some content, but then people are sharing content back or we have some vineyards um, that share content about like take a walk through the vines and and hear about the story of the growing season, but also hear the wine club members or interact with the wine club members as we exchange recipes for pairing recommendations or our, ta our own tasting notes. And then we have um, people who use us just to gather user-generated content. That would be something like the Grey Cup or the Riders, where you'll see a fan photos section embedded in their application. Um, and so you have the app, you click on that, you can add your own photos. It might end up on the Megatron or, you know, they might do a promotion with it. Um, so those are the three ways, but essentially it is a media page. It allows you to create, add pictures, video, voice. You can add voice onto still pictures um, and curate a story. And then you can do things like survey your customers, like what products do you want us to bring in? Um, you can maybe do push promotions like at the Riders game, you know, here's 10% off your concession in the next half hour or um, different things to just interact and build some engagement. Interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you're um, swimming a bit against the tide in that, you know, companies have invested zillions in Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And you know, they're trying to solve the problems there. And you're coming along and saying you have a, 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 a new platform. Yeah. What have you found is the best case you have for, for them to consider using your platform and, to, and, and uh, yeah. concentrate their storytelling there? I mean, you're really trying to change people's behavior, and that's awfully tough. Yes. 
<laughs> yes, it most certainly is. Um, so how we combat the, you know, we're compared to social media often is a couple ways. One, we do still play nice with social media. There are some brands that are rocking it on social media and getting that exposure and exposure to new people who might not know your brand. Th that is not something we do. Um, you know, so there's some people that we say social media is great for you. How we enhance that um, primarily is having a more intimate place for your super users or your or your real fans that take it to the next level um we when i say we play nice with social media we do still like you can add hashtags to stories that you have in memory keeper um and all the content that gets created on instagram on twitter will come into your story as well as people adding to the story themselves so we do play nice with social um you can share your stories really easily on social media if you want it to be something that's broadcast um wider but i'll give the example of a medical device company in the us so this 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 um, product is specific to individuals who are struggling um conceiving a child and so for the purpose of them, they have a very different story on their social media page than they have on their closed memory keeper community. So when you purchase the product, there's a QR code on the box. When you get it, you scan that QR code, you're in this community. The only other people who are in that community are people who are going through the same thing you are. And so the dialogue compared to what we see on their social media is completely different. Um, and, and she's the owner of this, uh, product and FDA approved, um, product certainly says that having that closed community has brought her more referrals for new clients than her social media account has. So it creates this really close environment that's different. It's more intimate. Um, we find people being willing to share more content as well as just generally share more. Um, but it's also driving her sales more than her social media is, ironically. That's really interesting. So the idea of having these two tiers, one is the, the public face and the other is the insider group. Yeah. And we're seeing that in all kinds of places. When you go to the stadium, you can either be an attendee or you can, <clears throat> you know, sitting, sitting in a seat or you can be in the corporate box and experience the whole thing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, so so it, it makes sense. We've got these two tiers and the first tier is the commodity tier and maybe Instagram or Facebook is good at that. Um, but then we've got your power users, your neediest users or whatever who need a, a smaller, more intimate community. Yeah. And and what we're finding, like, for example, something like the wine. Um people just aren't consuming it on social. You know, they have some of the same stories or content up on their social that they have in their private story um, that's right on the product. People aren't consuming it the same way. So the stats say that when I pick up my phone, let's say I'm picking up my phone and I'm going to X winery um, to look at their story, one out of every two times not getting there. So 47% of the time we get distracted before we make it to our destination on social media and we never make it there. So the other thing is you're, you're creating, you're sometimes telling the same story, but without other people's ads, without an algorithm deciding who sees it without, you know, um, the noise of maybe your competitors, like we liken it to 
We're like a restaurant and social media is like the food court. You might go to the food court and you'll stand in, in line at the burger place that you always go to, but it's lined up and maybe the burger place two down comes and brings you a coupon. And, you know, so maybe you go down there. And so you're not really the, the place where you're going to spend isn't controlling your experience. Whereas a restaurant, you have to work a little bit harder to get them in the door, but then you get to control every aspect of their experience. Nice. Very cool. And uh, so tell us sort of what the state of the art is then at Memory Keeper. Are you still a startup? Do I mean, you think you've reached some maturity? Have, are you still in a big go, go, go growth phase? Are you still developing all kinds of exciting new products or have things settled down? The answer is yes to everything except have things <laughs> settled down. So Except um, you're settling down. Yeah. Darn it. I, 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 in some ways, we're still a startup. Um, you know, we just pivoted to business a year ago, so uh, I would say we're we're still a startup in that sense. We're still learning. We're still learning a ton from our customers and then developing to meet their needs uh, better. We're at that nice stage, actually, where our customers have a direct line right into us and say, gosh, I wish it did this. And we can call them back in a day and say it does now. So we're at that stage. At the same time, we've done some really large projects like this Heritage Park project for their 60th anniversary they've got you know this is a heritage park outside calgary yeah the, it is the, yeah the so they're just about to celebrate thing. their 60th anniversary and so if anyone has any pictures of you've been there please go to their website add them but um um they've had a fairly big uh you know amount of interest. i have pictures of heritage oh, park <laughs> okay great yes i'll send them in yes, i was very please young do. please do but so we've done projects like that or Grey Cup where we got, you know, tens of thousands of pieces of content in a couple of days. And so what I'd say is we're startup in the sense that we're still scrappy. We still can develop to need and we're still, I mean, we'll always, I think, be so eager to please our customers. On the flip side, we're big enough that we know the products really sound. Um it's, it's reliable. We've managed very large loads without issues um, in short periods of time. And we know we're ready for bigger brands. Like we're looking and talking to some com- consumer packaged goods, um, things like that, where the, where the client base is massive. Um, we've done enough of the testing with the clients who were patient with us and liked us at first to know we're ready for the big leagues as well. So ready for the big leagues. Are you talking about getting a few big brand customers exactly. that will sort of yeah, transform like, the company. Like we would, um, I'll just, I'll just tell, um, we'd love to be on some consumer packaged goods. Um, one, one of the ones that we're really after is the Dove Real Beauty campaign. Um, that campaign is, is just the perfect intersection of a passionate campaign that deserves better than social media. They, they go through all these stats on their website about how, harmful social media is to body image issues and youth and and yet they are driving their consumers to social media to find community around the topic um, so something like we're ready for a couple of those and we're in talks with some larger organizations that represent big brands that uh, you know you could have the QR code right on the packaging and actually that brand, QR code could be a portal to your whole community of people who feel the same way you do or that you want to learn from about how they're using a product or a service. Wow, that's really exciting. I mean, yeah. Dove is obviously a big name, but it's also linked to a huge company behind it. Exactly, so, uh, yes. A lot, of, a lot of opportunities there. Mm-hmm. How differently do you have to think in terms of marketing to a Dove Real Beauty group as opposed 
to Heritage Park. And I mean, yeah. I don't mean Slate Heritage Park in the in the least, it's a difference. but yeah. you know, it's a much different experience, different types of people you're talking yeah. to. What have you learned about making this transition? Well, you know, I've learned a couple of things. And one is that I started smaller than I should have. And not not Heritage Park. I'm even talking to the clients before that is that, you know, you think you have to prove yourself at size five employees and then 10 employees and then 20 employees. Um, and then you do some work with a Grey Cup or a Marriott and you think, no, 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 <laughs> you know, don't, don't, this is for any founders that are listening. Don't think too small to start off with, um, you know, go for mm-hmm, where you want it, where you want to arrive at. Um, for me, and this is just me, I'm actually a ton more comfortable working with the very large companies. And I think that speaks to my own background. Um, you know, especially when I worked in mergers and acquisitions, like a corporate environment is just where I grew up. And so for me, yeah, you have to, you have to, um, your content has to be better. You have to work a heck of a lot harder to get to talk to the right people to a point where you're getting a meeting. Um, you know, I was on the other side of that for years where I was like, oh, I don't have time to meet with these people. I don't want to buy what you're selling. And so it's really helpful <laughs> to be on the other side now. But um, you have to show up differently for sure. But it's the way I show up differently, I think, um, is probably more my comfort zone for large corporate than it is for for the smaller mid-size spaces, just because I spent my whole career in corporate. Are you still doing all the selling? Because otherwise you have to bring along your team yeah. who may not have that same experience as you yeah. have. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm doing the majority of the selling and it depends on the segment though. For sure we have, um, yeah, we, we have an individual who worked hospitality her whole life who does the selling in, in vineyards. She's physically located in that in one of the wine regions in Canada. And so that's helpful, but so we have it segmented a bit, but any of the corporate I'm doing and truthfully, I'm doing about 90% of the sales still, which is a challenge. If you're a founder and you're listening, we've tried things. I've done some outsourced um, sales development reps that did cold calling. And it is a challenge to get to the point where someone else can speak to your product with the same passion as you can as quickly as you need them to. (laughs) So it takes a lot of time investing in, in getting them, up to speed um, and thinking the way you think, which is, yeah, a challenge. And I've spent my whole life in large organizations where you don't succeed unless you trust all the other people to do it the same, you know, like you, you have to empower people and train them to be successful. Um, But it is just, there is just an additional layer of challenge here because it costs money and you don't have a ton of time. You don't have a ton of money and you don't have a ton of time. Right. Also when you're calling from RBC or some other big organizations, your calls get returned. Yes. What have you learned? Because I'm all about the hacks. What have you learned about getting calls returned when you're talking to the bigger organizations? Well, I'm for for sure. Step one is like not scouring LinkedIn to send blanket messages, but scouring LinkedIn to go, who do I know that can get me to this person with a warm introduction? Because the success rate is just so much higher to get a call answered even or a meeting if I know someone um, that knows them. Um, step B for me is do my research. So if I don't know anyone that knows them, I need to find out a little bit something about who they are, um, you know, what they're excited about, what kind of things they're interested in, and find a way to to start a conversation on an angle where we have some common ground. Um, 
as a so you start on the social media by trying to, totally. to, to find out more with these people. <laughs> maybe on social media or if they write blogs or they're corporate. Uh, maybe I'm talking about something that just happened. I just spend a lot of time on, you know, like routers or CDAR saying what's happening in their organization if they're executive that I can speak to um, that's specific to my find interest. I often will think, is there, how can I add value immediately? Is there someone in my old network that might be of value for them to know? Um, anything like that. Can I help link them to people that they're selling to? Um, and then the other is like, I just, I really try to make my messages personalized. Um, I get so many messages on LinkedIn every week that you can tell, like some of them even are like, you know, insert name here. I'm like, you didn't even take the time to. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen those. Yeah. yeah. Um, so really trying to understand what what's value for them and how do I add it in, in even one conversation. And it's still really hard. So I'd say those are my pro tips. I don't know if they're working all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds great. And the idea of really putting yourself in that person's shoes and getting to know as much about them as possible. Yeah. I think that's really important. A lot of people, I think, skip over that step. And yeah. that's why. And I mean, generally, that's, that's just the person I am. Like, I, I am interested in other people and what their stories are. And so, it, yeah, it just makes it it makes it a lot more enjoyable for me, too, if I actually get to know a little bit about someone and, and understand what drives them and what their priorities are. Have you had corporate clients who then became, who then, you know, signed up for the, 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 the individual platform, the personal platform too? We've had some, yeah. We've had some interesting tie overs um, with corporate as well as we've, we've done some work with some finance companies and then um, they've, you know, been recommending it to some of their clients in their estate planning exercises. And so, yeah, we've had some overlap. I mean, actually, I had a, a friend that was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago. So we do weddings. It's a really easy product because you create a story and then you have a QR code. You put them on all the tables at the wedding and then everyone can share their pictures with you. Um, and so I was I had a yeah, a friend who was at a wedding the other weekend and she, she asked, oh, how did you learn about Memory Keeper? And they were like, oh, well, we use it at work for something else. So so there definitely is that trickle that flow over back and forth. Yeah, that makes it really interesting. Um, looking at the, again, the, 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 the commercial tier, um, I guess you've made it so that once someone signs up with you, they're dependent on your platform. So they, they become hopefully customers for a very long time. Is that the model? Um, it, not exactly. <laughs> and from a business perspective, that makes perfect sense. But I will tell you one thing that we committed to early on is if we wanted to be different than social, we also wanted to make sure we weren't holding people hostage for their content. Um, and so, you know, it might present a little bit more risk for us. Certainly, if you're going to build a community in there, why would you want to leave? But we don't want people to not be able to leave because, oh, it's a pain and all my content is there. We want them to not want to leave because it's adding value to their business or to their community and their customers. So you can have an account and download all the content and, you know, take it off Memory Keeper. You're not, you don't have handcuffs to stay in Memory Keeper. Um, yeah, so it, it's more around, we want to add value by the fact that you're creating community and whether it's a family community that's looking at pictures or whether it's a business that's sharing how they're using a product or why they love it or what they wish it could do. Um, we want them to be there because they want to be there, not because they, they're stuck because all their content's in there. So the way we get sticky is not necessarily in saying, you know, you can't do this somewhere else. 
our goal is to make it easier. Like there were people, customers that used to make landing pages or microsites, and now they use Memory Keeper instead because it's easier. Um, and because it's more dynamic, they can make changes quickly. Um, and we want consumers to keep coming back because, again, it's it's a meaningful experience, not because they're held there. So our stickiness is more in telling good stories with good people and uh, hoping the people that consume them love them. So are you able to sell then um, the, the, the experience of using your product? This could be a one-off campaign. This is your spring real beauty campaign. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it's, it's, it can be a one-off if you want, or as you learn about it, you can uh, take advantage of other features and we'll have a longer relationship together. Yeah, exactly. We have, we, and we have many customers that have come on cause they just want to do this one story this one time and are now using it to manage content. They have other stories published. We have one product that's a, it's a quick story essentially. And I can tell you that we don't have anyone that's purchased that product that hasn't upgraded to having it permanently. Ah, so yes. Yeah. It tells me they're there, not because they have to be, but because it's really adding value. And that's the point. Right. And uh, three years, five years, two years from now, whichever time frame you want to choose, what do, what do you hope Memory Keeper looks like? Well, hey, A, profitable. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a long road <laughs> to build a tech startup. Um, so yeah, I, I hope we uh, look like that. But primarily, I hope that in, uh, let's say two years, I think it's just a matter of having more of those larger brands on it, that we're starting to see people have more meaningful experiences off social media in community, digital communities, um, and that we have it with bigger brands. So like a like a Dove, um, like a Nike, where you could scan your shoe and there's LeBron giving your kid tips on how to, you know, make a shot or that <clears throat> that we just start to see this being normalized and us working with some bigger name brands that are really telling stories in in a bolder fashion than some of the smaller brands we work with can in five years right. um gosh we have we have some big plans for how this could be a connected marketplace too so you're telling stories together but maybe is this the place where as a consumer i can go and say here's my values or here's the type of community i'm looking to belong to and find the brand that represents that um that would be you know the the five-year phase is that really there is a there is a a really consent driven user driven experience where you can find communities you want to belong to too without ads, wow. without algorithms, without bots, you know, just you and the stories you want to be a part of. That is very cool. Are there any other competitors out there? Anyone that you've got your eye on and saying they might end up into doing something like this yeah. too? You know, we have, we have many competitors on what I would call the um, content management side um, that just do content management for the purpose of social media. And then we have competitors that are really about publishing stories that are maybe they're publishing. I'm just trying to think of like there, we have some that they publish tours, walking tours or um, storytelling pages that they have to design. Um, but they're not really that dynamic. So we kind of like, we've, we've been having a lot of calls in the last two weeks with big, like big, big global marketing firms. Um, and consistently we've heard that we don't, we have, they haven't bumped into anyone who does what we're doing yet. There's a couple smaller ones in the marketplace, probably same size as us, um, but our, their product's not quite as good. And um, 
yeah, so I don't give him a ton. I don't give him a ton of time. <laughs> but yeah, certainly it's uh, a space where I think if nothing else, we might see like, I think our race isn't against another competitor. Our race is to demonstrate it, that it's valuable to the marketplace and get enough users quick enough that if one of the really big players decided this is a space we want to be in as well, um, that we'd be big enough to either be a contender or a partner with them. And have you entirely funded Memory Keeper yourself or the, as a tech firm, have you reached out to investors or how's that? We have, yeah, we had a couple early investors. We won an angel investment summit um, early on. And any follow-on investment we've got since then, we've brought on from kind of our first stage investors. So we still have, though, we have less than um, 250 Canadian in external funding, and then I've funded myself. Okay. And uh, do, you, do, you, do you intend to tap any more private investment as you grow? Yes, actually, we're just about to launch, and we've, we've been trying to avoid it because the market's been, you know... Um, it's not been great. It's not been great for raising capital, but um, what the challenge that we're in right now is we're a really small team and we have more interest than we have capacity to serve. And so it's just time. So we're starting to raise capital um, this year. And any idea how much? We'll be raising uh, between 500000 and a million in a bridge round to get us to seed. Um, and that money will go specifically to helping me hire some, um, a salesperson that can do higher level sales, um, as well as customer acquisition. And, um, yeah, it's almost all, it would almost all be to fuel growth because we, it's, it's a really interesting product as there's stories in every industry. So we have, we've had people in the last couple of weeks come to us from the beauty industry, from medical industry. We have some larger events that want us to do some work with them. Um, these are not, you know, buy the product with the sticker on it as it is and use it exactly as it is um, clients, but they're <laughs> clients that represent a much larger payments too, like true enterprise software as a service billing. And so we need the resources to be able to put invest in some of these opportunities so that we can take them. So yeah, so 500 to a million. Um, if you're listening and you're like, wow, I'm dying to invest in this. <laughs> um, let me know, but it, it should be an interesting journey. It's, it's tricky because like we said earlier, I'm primary sales. And so when you uh, take your primary salesperson off of sales to try and raise capital, it's, it's tricky at the same time, if we don't get the capital to be able to jump on a couple of these opportunities and have the resources to jump on these opportunities, we're going to lose them. And that's exactly the conundrum of the tech yeah. startup. So, you know, so you're right in that in that sweet spot, yeah. the squeeze point. You know, Rick, you may remember that uh, as kids, there was an ad on TV, and it was like, "I I can't get a job because I don't have experience. I don't get experience because I can't get a job." And it's like this circle in this ad that keeps right. going round and round. And I just think that about yeah, about the it's hard to get investment because I don't have the sales. I can't get the sales because I don't have investment. It's this vicious circle, but we, we've gotten so much good market feedback that I, I'm confident we're going to find the right investors out there that understand this space um, and, and can help us strategically move forward. And we are talking to some of those bigger organizations that we view as customers about potential investment, um, people that want to be on the front end of what the future of their brands need. That's very cool. Um, 
for a lot of tech companies, the people who help them through this valley of death are advisors, board members, yes. um, some past investors, or just you know people who 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 make them who have been through this before and make themselves available. I'm not sure um, what the strength is of of the uh, advisory community in Moose Jaw or Regina, which is right next door. Um, but have you been able to tap into resources like these? Are there advisors out there that are helping you? Yeah, um, I should say first, we are part of a, a business accelerator program at the Connexus Cultivator. And so, you know, they, the ecosystem in Saskatchewan is actually pretty strong. Um, and you, you go anywhere in the world, you know, you're going to bump into a couple people that have family in Saskatchewan, it seems. So, mm-hmm. um, so the ecosystem here is pretty strong. I also having... Um, worked corporate, you know, I have some really good advisors and mentors from my old world. One um, gentleman who was the VP of branding and marketing at WestJet, he built the brand and he is a key, Richard Bartram is his name. He's brilliant when it comes to thought leadership in branding and marketing. Um, And he's in love with the concept, A. Um, And B, he's uh, come on as an advisor and is really has been integral in helping us get the right doors open and have the right conversations. And so he's not in my marketplace, but most of the people that I get mentorship from, you know, what what is a marketplace anymore? Like it's it's one Zoom call away. So um, so most of my advisors are actually in um, either I have a couple in the U.S. and then Richard's been a key one. And then I have a couple in Toronto as well. So beautiful. It's not, it sounds like you're doing it all right. So uh, like funny thing, we look like, forward to following this. Yeah. This seems like one of those buttons that you press is like, we've, I've, I emailed Seth Godin. He's like the king of storytelling and marketing. Um, and he's had Absolutely. two calls with us. He loves what we're doing. He's like, I'm, I'm, you know, fixated on what this is, what this can become. And so he's given me his time for free, you know, and he's an icon. So it's, I'm always amazed at how many people are just willing to help just because they're out there. And I would say just as equally, I'm in awe of some of the new grads we hired three years ago that are now super skilled developers that could be making more money somewhere else and are just committed to we're in this together. So as much as I think of the advisors being key to to how we tackle this, having someone that shows up when you have an idea and says, hey, I'll help you build it and B, I'll stick around to help you try and make it stick. That's pretty powerful too. That is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. And you're also building the community. You're a member of Startup Canada's SWAN group, the Startup Women Advisory Network. I wonder if you can just share a little bit about that experience and the the kind of connections you're making. Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, it was an incredible experience being a part of the the SWAN network. And I can say, and you know, the, the brilliant folks at Startup Canada don't see this every day, but um, they won't see the back end of the conversations that I would say weekly, I'm having a conversation with one of the people that I was in that cohort with, um, just talking about what they're up to. Sometimes it's we're checking in on each other. Sometimes we're celebrating each other. We have a WhatsApp chat. Um, so what that did, I mean, throughout the first bit, we were all kind of getting to know each other and getting to know how can we access Startup Canada and and leverage some of this the skills and knowledge and network. Um, but the gold has really been the other entrepreneurs that I've met through there that are across Canada that we lean on each other. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine you getting a lot of advice and inspiration from them. And I, you obviously have a ton of experience to share with them as well. Yeah, no, I, I probably get more than I give, I think. But I think that about life so far, I've been uh, 
Yeah, I've been lucky. That's fabulous. And also, still on the Startup Canada uh, loop, I was at the final stop of the Startup Canada tour in Brampton uh, back in October. And you and Memory Keeper were named the People's Choice Award winner, which is an award that recognizes innovation and entrepreneurship in Canada, presented by our sponsor, UPS. What was that like for you? Oh, I mean, that that was pretty great. Um, we, even the, the folks that use our product personally or professionally, we have just such a great group of customers. Like, I feel like they're friends, you know what I mean? And there's thousands of them, so that's hard to keep track of. But um, we had great support from the community. And, uh, and it was, to be honest, last year, you know, right when this was happening, it was... Um, it was a hard time. I was just starting to decide, okay, I'm going to need to raise some capital. I had made a decision that I couldn't hire someone I really wanted to hire until I raised more capital. Um, it was, yeah, it was a bright light in kind of a dark couple of weeks of this is hard. And then you get something like that that just pushes you over the hump and gets you energized and going again. So pretty exciting. That's so exciting. Yeah, that, 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 that's fabulous. Well, congratulations on your success so far. And we're going to look forward to watching you move from success to success. Here's hoping. As we go along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've been talking with Jessa McNaughton the, with Memory Keeper based in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Jessica, any final words of wisdom or advice, uh, best practice to share with Canadian entrepreneurs? One more bit of wisdom from this journey you've been on. I, again, I think just take care of yourself and make space for silence. You know, we go through we pitch to a thousand people and we talk to different customers and everyone has a little bit different opinion on what's right or wrong. And so you have to be able to listen to the market feedback, but you also have to be, give yourself enough silence every now and again to make sure it aligns with what your vision and your purpose is, or you get really lost really quickly. Give yourself silence to make sure that it all aligns with what you're doing. That's fabulous advice. And it's the sort of thing you can only get from an entrepreneur who's been through the mill <laughs> again and again. And, and keep showing up every day. And and, yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations again, Jessica. Thank you so much for talking with us. And we'll talk again. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>